Welcome to the Sports Town Podcast, or the STP Pod for short. No politics, no drama, no arguing. Just two guys talking sports. I'm your host, JJ Peters. Today on the podcast, we will dive into Thursday Night Football Preview, Gordon Hayward out again, MLB Free Agency Predictions, and much more. And now it's time for the poll question. Again, you guys can vote on Instagram, Facebook at Sportstown underscore podcast, or you can go to Twitter at Sportstown pod. And the question was, are the Chiefs unstoppable? And 67% of you guys voted yes. Thanks for voting. And again, you can vote on Instagram and Facebook at Sportstown underscore podcast or Twitter at Sportstown pod. Before we dive into some more awesome sports topics, I'd like to tell you about Anchor. If you haven't heard anything about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Can't go wrong with that. And guess what? There's even creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. That's not all, though. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. It keeps on getting better, though. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, let's get back to the show. And now let's get some sports updates. The MLB will now classify stats from the Negro League as stats in the record book. So the players that played in the Negro Leagues and not the majors will be considered for the MLB Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Players such as Josh Gibson, Oscar Charleston, James Bell, and Joe Williams will now have a chance to be in the Hall of Fame. The players that did play both in the MLB and Negro Leagues will have will look even better. The top players that played in both the MLB and Negro, Negro Leagues are Jackie Robinson, Willie Mays, and Satchel Paige. Some big news in the UFC. Fifth-ranked lightweight fighter Tony Ferguson could be cut by the end of this year, according to an MMA f- official, John McCarthy. Ferguson has now lost back-to-back fights and got handled both times. Recently, UFC President Dana White said he will cut 60 fighters by the end of the year. At one time, Tony Ferguson was the interim lightweight champion before getting knocked out by Justin Gagey. According to McCarthy, he believes Ferguson is getting older, which he is, has now lost back-to-back fights, and his relationship with the UFC has not been great over the years. Big news in the NCAA. The NCAA will allow a blanket transfer for all Division I athletes, which means that all Division I athletes that transfer can play immediately for the next college they go to, which is great news for athletes that want to play right away instead of having to sit out one year for that university. As you probably can tell, most universities and institutions are very jubilant with the new ruling made by the NCAA. The NFL owners and commissioner Roger Goodell met a few days ago and aren't 100% sure with a 100-game season or 17-game game season next year. Commissioner Goodell is confident that that the 17-game schedule like they agreed with the Players Union in March will happen. The agreement in March was unanimous. The owners and the commissioner will meet again before the end of the year and will have a decision made. There's a 99% chance they end up agreeing on a 17-game schedule because if they don't, they are violating their agreement with the NFLPA. And lastly, but not least, Alexander Steen of the St. Louis Blues has announced his retirement on Thursday. Former Blue and Maple Leaf played 15 seasons in the NHL. He was a huge part in the 2019 championship run made by the Blues. It was St. Louis's first Stanley Cup in franchise history. The last two years, Steen has been battling with an injured lumbar spine. He missed many playoff games this year in August. He also just had a second child that he and his wife recently announced. Steen is now 36 years old and was traded from Toronto to St. Louis in 2008. 
Former Ravens running back and fullback Lorenzo Talifer has passed away at the age of 28. The former fourth-round pick has passed away because of a heart attack in his hometown of Williamsburg, Virginia. On Wednesday, Talifer was transferred to the hospital and eventually was pronounced dead. He was released in 2017, eventually to play in the CFL for the Hamilton Tiger Cats as a defensive player. His final season, Talifer played fullback. Talifer was from Coastal Carolina, had his best game in the NFL versus the Cleveland Browns as he rushed for 91 yards and a 23-21 victory. The MLB free agency has gotten a little more active the past few days. Still, none of the big names have been signed or been traded, but there were some interesting moves to say the least. I will give you all the updates, and I will even predict some of the free agents that will sign in the 2020-2021 offseason. Well, we start off with George Springer. He hasn't signed yet, but he's one of the top free agents in the MLB this offseason. I wouldn't think I would think he would return to Houston, but if he doesn't, I could see the 2017 World Series MVP going to Boston, St. Louis, or maybe the Yankees, just because New York has money and likes to spend on top free agents even if they don't need them. I predict though he returns to Houston. Trevor Bauer, the reigning NLCS MVP or not, the reigning NL Cy Young Award winner is the best available pitcher in the 2021 MLB free agency. The Reds should bring him back, but if they don't, I would predict the Giants, the White Sox, and the Rangers to all make a move. But since he should bring back the reigning NL Cy Young Award winner. DJ LeMay, who is another free agent, I could see re-signing with the Yanks. However, if the Yankees don't re-sign him, I could see the Miami Marlins picking him up. The Oakland Athletics, if they don't bring back Tommy Lestel. The Angels could also use LeMay, and I wouldn't be surprised if they made a run at him. JT Real Muto is one of the best catchers on the market. Real Muto would have made it to the All-Star game last year if it wouldn't been can- if it wasn't canceled. The teams that could bring him in would be, of course, the Phillies, the Braves, though, the Marlins, and maybe, or, of course, I think the Phillies, Braves, and Marlins would be the three teams for Real Muto. Marcelo Zuna has a, had a heck of a season last year and will definitely get paid this offseason. I can't see him returning to the Braves again because I think he wants a long-term deal, and I'm not sure that Atlanta wants to. Maybe the Cardinals should bring him back, or we could see teams like the Red Sox, White Sox, and the Padres. Ozuna won the DH Player of the Year last season. In fact, he was the first NL player, NL player to win the award. And last but not least, Michael Brantley is a good outfielder, but a lot of but a lot better at being a great hitter. He could go to an AL team where he could remain as the DH. After all, he is a power hitter. The Angels, the White Sox, Red Sox, and Cardinals, and maybe the Braves if they lose Ozuna in free agency. The early National Signing Day of college football has come and gone. To no surprise, Alabama leads the way with the most five-star recruits. There were some other prospects that got picked up by smaller schools, but most Power 5 conference gobbled up the big names. They also include Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, and Clemson. Another team that did pretty well in the national early National Signing Day was Oregon and Oklahoma. First question is, how does Alabama get all the top recruits year-end and year-out? Well, it's pretty simple. They are Alabama. They usually win championships every other year. It seems like you got one of the greatest coaches ever in college football history, Nick Saban. So even if the players aren't going to play a lot, they still want to be part of that. And, of course, it also gets them – or gets – has the – or – it also gives them the better chance of making it to the first round in the NFL if they want to go further, which, of course, even if you're decent at Alabama, you're still probably going to be picked somewhere in the draft. So that's kind of most of the reasons why. And, of course, Nick Saban, I think, is a good recruiter, and he has the best assistants out there, so they can easily get the top guys. But pretty much it's because they're Alabama. They're winning national championships almost every year, it seems like. 
They're very successful, and it also helps when Nick Saban is the, one of the best recruiters and the best college football coaches in all of college football. Uh, what school got the most top recruits? Well, it was pretty much Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. They all pretty much got the big names. There were a few non-Power 5 schools that got them, but it was, again, it was mostly the top guys. The teams like Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina didn't really do great in the rankings, but it's still incredible how far they've gone this year, and they're still undefeated. So, But, yeah, pretty much Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, um, Oklahoma, it seems like they always get the top quarterbacks, which they did. They actually signed Caleb Williams. Uh, what Oklahoma's done with the quarterbacks has been excellent. Lincoln Riley, I'm surprised he still hasn't gone to the NFL yet, but the uh, Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson got the most top uh, top recruits. Um, who was the best recruit in high school football and who did he sign with? Well, actually the best recruit according to 24 seven sports is Corey Foreman. He has not chose yet where he wants to go. He's a defensive end. He's six foot four, 265 pounds. He's basically narrowed his choice down to two. He's from California. So USC is number one and LSU is actually number two. Another time. Uh, well, the second best recruit, JC Latham, He's an offensive tackle from Florida. He's 6'6", 305 pounds. He chose Alabama. And the third best recruit, JT Tumaloa, uh, 6'4", 277 pounds. He's from Washington. But right now he's looking hard at Ohio State and Washington, uh, who he wants to sign with. So the best uh, recruit, Corey Foreman from California. He right now is between two teams, USC and LSU. Got some bad news for Charlotte Hornets fans, Gordon Hayward is likely done or at least out for a few weeks with a fractured finger on his right hand. According to multiple reports, he could miss the Charlotte Hornets opener on Wednesday versus the Cavaliers. Hayward injured his hand in a loss versus the Raptors on Monday. Man, it just it's it seems like almost every year Gordon Hayward is getting injured. As we all know, when he signed with Boston in 2017, the opening night against the Cavs, he got hurt. He was out pretty much for the whole season, didn't come back until the next season. He finally got um, he finally got healthy last year and played pretty good. I think he averaged what seventeen points a game, about five rebounds and three assists. So he improved, but it looks like Gordon Hayward is getting injured again. That's just not good news, especially after signing a four-year, one hundred and twenty million dollar contract with Charlotte just a few weeks ago. And it just it seems like this guy can't get healthy, and I kind of feel sorry for him because he is very good. Remember, he was an all-star before he got injured, and it seems like he won't ever get that status to be again because he's always injured. Um, will Gordon Hayward play opening night versus the Cavs? It doesn't seem like it. Everybody was reporting and saying that Hayward is likely done. He could be out for at least one to two weeks. So, of course, that's not good news, especially when you have a young point guard in LaMelo Ball who they just drafted. It seems like the Hornets are getting a little more aggressive in free agency. According to reports, they could be trading for another player here before the season starts on Tuesday. But uh, I, I don't think so. I think he could be out for one to two weeks. It's not good news for the Hornets, especially after paying him so much money. Will this injury affect Hayward's play throughout the season? Um, I I think it does early, but I think once once he like once the season is like what I think I I don't think it will because I think once he comes back, he'll probably probably for about a week or two, he'll probably still struggle a little bit with the injury. But I think once he gets used to it, and once time's passed, I think he'll be fine. If he can just get back to somewhat of his old self back in, I think, was it 2016 with the Jazz when he was really good? He can be a top player, but I just, it kind of stinks because it seems like he's always injured, but I don't think it will affect Hayward's play once the season, you know, gets going and it's it's underway. Um, can Hayward stay healthy this year? <laughs> um, 
I don't think so. I think somehow Gordon Hayward is probably going to get injured after recovering from his um, injury on his. Or after, I think, I think he's going to get injured somehow once this once once he comes back. I think he's somehow going to figure out a way to get injured again, and that's not his problem. I just think that with the way he plays, he's just injured all the time, and I just don't think he can ever really be the same way he was back when he was in Utah. Uh, will the Hornets make the playoffs this upcoming season? They are in the Eastern Conference, but the Eastern Conference has gotten tougher, so I'm going to say no. I'm going to say they make the ninth or 10th seed. They do make strides this season, but I just don't see them having a winning record. Now, they don't have to have a winning record to make the Eastern Conference playoffs, but I could see them winning. Well, they play 72 games this season. I could see them... I just I don't know. I don't I don't I don't think they're going to win 40 games. I don't think they're even going to win. Well, I could see them winning about 30 games, maybe going like you know, 32 and, or, well, I could see him going like 30 and 42, but I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year. And I don't think they have a winning record. The UFC has revealed their men's and women's ranking for every division, including pound for pound. To no one's surprise, Habib Nurmagomedov was ranked number one in the men's lightweight division in pound for pound. Another obvious one was Amanda Nunes being number one in the women's pound for pound and bantamweight division. Charles Oliveira jumped all the way to number three in the men's lightweight division, and Tony Ferguson dropped down to number four. The top five in the men's pound-for-pound ranking are Habib Nurmagomedov, John Jones, Israel Adesanya, Stipe Miracic, and Kamara Usman. For the women's, Amanda Nunes is number one, Valentina Shevchenko is number two, Zhang Weili is number three, Rose Namajunas is four, and Jessica Andraz is number five. Did the UFC get their rankings right? Absolutely. For the pound for pound, Habib is no, is the best fighter and number one. And of course, for the women's, Amanda Nunes dominates every time she fights. She's not going to be fighting probably for a while, and she hasn't fought since I think it was July. I want to say the last time she fought. So, or actually, might have been I can't remember. It was sometime in the summer when she fought last. But she's not going to be fighting for a while. I know that. But still, she is the best women's fighter and probably of all time. Um, who is the best pound for pound fighter not in the top five? Well, most people would say Alexander Volkanovsky or Dustin Poirier, but in my opinion, I do think Conor McGregor, who's ranked number 12, ranked a little low. I think he is going. He is the best non-top five fighter in the men's pound-for-pound division. I still think he beats Dustin Poirier in January 23rd at UFC 257, which brings me to my next uh, question. Who wins the McGregor versus Poirier fight on January 23rd? I think still think Conor McGregor is going to win. He definitely wants another chance for that belt. I think he's actually going to knock out Poirier, the, a.k.a. the diamond. I say either in the second, I say in the second round. If Poirier does want to beat McGregor, he's got to go the distance. He's got to go all five rounds. But I don't think that's going to happen. Even though Dustin Poirier is a very good fighter, I think Conor McGregor wins this fight, and I think he knocks him out early second round. On Thursday Night Football this week, we've got a battle in the AFC West. The 7-6 and six Raiders were hoping to still keep their playoff hopes alive as they hosted their rival, the Chargers. L.A. was trying to end their nine-game losing streak in the division. Justin Herbert for the Chargers is also looking to tie Baker Mayfield's rookie touchdown passing record at 27. Before the game, he had 25. The game started out very quickly for the Chargers. Vegas, on their first possession, would go three and out, but L.A. would score on theirs. The Raiders would get three points on their next drive, but it came at a cost. Quarterback Derek Carr injured his groin in the drive and would not return. Marcus Mariota would fill in for Carr. A few possessions later, the Raiders would score on a Marcus Mariota touchdown pass to Darren Waller. However, the Chargers would get a field goal and a touchdown to end the half with a seven-point lead over the home team. 
the Raiders would score on a Josh Jacobs rushing touchdown in the third quarter to tie the game at 17. Let's jump to the fourth quarter where the game is now tied at 24. The Chargers had a chance to win the game with a Marvin field goal. Unfortunately for LA fans, Bagley would miss the field goal to give the Raiders a chance to win in regulation. In fact, Marvin Bagley missed back-to-back field goals. The Raiders would also try a field goal at the end, but the holder Adam Cole would fumble and turn the ball over on downs. We go to the we go to overtime where the Raiders would get the ball first and drive down and get three points. But here come the Chargers. All year the Chargers had blown leads, but the candidate for offensive rookie of the year, Justin Herbert, was not going to let let it happen, especially on Thursday night football. The Bolts would drive down the field, and Justin Herbert on third down would do a quarterback sneak and get a one-yard rushing go-ahead touchdown. Final score, the Chargers 30, the Raiders 27. Justin Herbert was 22 of 32 for 314 yards and two touchdown passes. Give that man the offensive rookie of the year. Maybe even put him in the Pro Bowl, even though the Pro Bowl isn't actually going to be played this year. Austin Eckler had 13 carries for 60 yards, and Jalen Guyton had four catches for 91 yards. For the Raiders, Marcus Mariota had a pretty solid game, 17 of 28 for 226 yards, one touchdown, and one INT. He also led the team in rushing with nine carries for 88 yards and one touchdown. Darren Waller beasted and feasted with nine receptions for 150 yards and a touchdown. Thanks for listening to the Sports Down Podcast, or the STP Pod for short. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and much more. We release new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. Don't forget to subscribe, review, and rate. Thank you.